really good to be here again with you guys. Uh, if we've not met yet, um, um, sadly my wife Philippa can't be here again, uh, but I've brought Izzy, my eldest daughter. It's great to have Izzy here and two other kids have got a sort of youth thing going on today. And it's great to have Emily. Emily's just done a year out with us as a church doing something called Frontier Project. You should do a great job leading you in worship. So uh, we, yeah. Uh, love Emily and uh, so glad she's going to be sticking around Mosaic for another year or so doing our internship and she heads up all our kids and kids work and all that sort of thing so she's a massive blessing to have around. Um, uh, Today uh, the title of the talk uh, is Escaping the Poisonous Grip of Disappointments. Why don't you just turn to the person next to you and say, oh that sounds quite interesting. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, we've all been disappointed in life whether it's right in our early years when we have that conversation with our parents and we find out that Father Christmas isn't real and I just don't know if there's any kids in the room sorry I've just totally disappointed them already Um, and if you didn't know that we can pray for you afterwards uh, disappointment in life happens all shapes and sizes. I know for me, when I thought, when have I been disappointed? Um, I can remember spending a long time preparing a meal. And, it, you know, I put a lot of effort into it. And when I took it out of the oven, I dropped it on the floor. And, you know, five-second rule always applies quickly back in the plate and serve it up like I never dropped it. But uh, I find things like that incredibly disappointing. And so it's in the small things like, a ruined meal or perhaps the thing you bought broke or the evening that you had planned sort of went wrong and you were disappointed with what actually happened to some of the big things in life. You know, illness and death and suffering and some of the things that I'm very aware that you as a church family are going through right now. All those things bring disappointment. And if you're a Christian here this morning you will also be super aware of disappointment in terms of life as a Christian because we live in a kingdom which we believe is, is both here now but also not yet. And so we live with disappointment in church life where things don't go as we thought they were. I remember being at university helping to lead the Christian Union and I put on a massive event. We expected a couple of hundred people. We hired a big speaker, big band, uh, prayed, invited tons and tons of people. On the night, 20 people turned up. And they were all from the Christian Union. So not one guest in this huge hall. Just a few of us at the front. And just that, uh, that for me in ministry, that was my, the first and um, biggest disappointment. And so... Uh, As Christians, we can't live free from disappointment. Disappointment's always going to come our way. But the question is, how do we live free from the stranglehold or the poisonous grip of disappointment and become a church that's full of faith, full of expectation, full of uh, hope that God's going to break in, a growing freedom from cynicism? And that's the sort of church I want to be part of. I want to be part of a church that... Trust God. And the reality is, undealt with disappointment can absolutely wreck our lives. It either totally derails us, and perhaps you know people that perhaps were once really going for it as a Christian, 
and something happened and it dis- caused disappointment to enter into their heart and they're no longer walking with God. Uh, that's the exception, fortunately. But much of the time, if disappointment doesn't derail us, it can lead us to a place where we almost sort of walk with a limp, where something has happened and it just causes us to step back a bit. We take our foot off the gas and our walk with God becomes a a bit compartmentalised. So we do the God thing and then the rest of our lives is, is for ourselves because we think that bit of our lives, we, we got hurt. And so it's easier not to have God in the centre of everything else. We just have our Christian lives and then everything else on the side. So we say the words, we sing the songs, but the heart is disengaged. I don't know if you've met anyone like that. Or are you aware in your own heart that disappointment has come and because you haven't escaped its poisonous grip, it's left you walking with a limp. You know, some symptoms of disappointment that I've noticed in pastoral ministry is that it causes you to stop listening, stop listening to God, stop listening to others, stop expecting, stop learning so you're not really growing anymore. You stop hoping because that's too painful and you stop risking in order to avoid all sort of disappointment. Today, I want to show you how to escape. I want to show you how to get out of disappointments. This is a very practical pastoral word. And I've got five things I want to share with you. And they're all from the book of Joshua. Because at Mosaic in Leeds, this is the book that we've been studying together. And we've found it so relevant to our lives. So if you've got a Bible, can you just turn to Joshua 6? Sorry, Joshua 7. And we're going to go to the end of Joshua 7 and then jump into chapter 8. If you've not read the book of Joshua, it really is a fascinating account of God's people trying to enter into the promised land. And God has raised up a leader to help them do that. His name is Joshua. And uh, it's a very up and down sort of book as they sort of advance in some places and then get get defeated in others. And chapter 7 is a particularly ugly, difficult chapter. You see, what's happened is in chapter 6, a man called Achan has disobeyed God's command not to take any plunder from the great city of Jericho. So as a result, they go to the next city, which is actually a very small, insignificant city called Ai, and surprise, surprise, they're defeated. So they've managed to take the huge city, they go and take this little city, and Israel are defeated. And Joshua describes the fallout, because this was completely unexpected. So uh, Joshua chapter 7, verse 4. So about 3,000 went up, but they were routed by the men of Ai, who killed about 36 of them. So there's, right away, that's the costly, that's the cost of their mistake. 36 families impacted. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. And at this, the hearts of the people melted in fear and became like water. There's a really strong phrase that, isn't it? All the confidence they have suddenly drains away. Their hearts melt in fear and they they end up almost on their knees. Verse 6. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord, remaining there till evening. And the elders of Israel did the same and sprinkled dust on their heads. So you've now got shame, you've got regret, which is leading them towards repentance. Verse 7. 
And Joshua said, Alas, sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we'd been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. And so you've got the disappointment, you've got the cost of the disappointment, and now you've got the questioning. Why, God, did you let this happen? Why us? And then not only do you have questioning, but you also have regret. You have the if-only questions. If only you hadn't let this happen. Verse 8, pardon your servant, Lord. What can I say now that Israel has been routed by its enemies? The Canaanites and the other peoples of the country will hear about this and they will surround us and wipe out our name from the earth. What then will you do for your own great name? And so lastly, you've got comparison. What will everyone else think and say about us? All these things are classic hallmarks of disappointment. You've got the hurt, you've got the pain, you've got the loss, which leads to shame and regret, and then you end up in that place of questioning and comparison. Comparison. Let me make some comments. Number one, disappointment never comes alone. When you open the door, when disappointment comes knocking at your door and you open the door, disappointment's friends run in sort of into your house without you realising it. And disappointment's friends are things like cynicism, bitterness, unbelief, lukewarm faith and withdrawal from relationships. So I'm discipling a man at the moment who, when he was younger, he was really disappointed in a friendship. So he had a really close, like, best friend and it turned out his best friend was really living a lie. And this guy had sort of stuck up for him and been, like, his big supporter all the while. This guy had just this hidden life. And as we've talked about this, we've realised that not only is he super disappointed because he's lost a friend, but all these other things have happened to him as well. He's struggled to get married because he's found that he doesn't trust people and so he doesn't want to let people in. He's full of, uh, sort of, um, he's retreated so people never know where they stand with him because he never sort of says what he thinks or shows how he feels, because he wants to protect himself. You see, if you let disappointment in, you must be aware that disappointment's friends come along as as well, and you end up in a place you never dreamt you'd be. So disappointment never comes alone. Secondly, recognise that harbouring offence is toxic to the soul. I don't know if you've ever spent time praying with people that are bitterly disappointed. For me, the experience is usually that you pray, and whatever you pray for someone that is disappointed, it's like there's a force field around them. It's like your prayers bounce off them. It's like whatever you say, whatever you point to in the Bible, the character of God, it just doesn't go in. Does anyone know what I mean? Yeah, Three people do. That's good. That's encouraging. You know, you feel like you want to really help and you want God to break in, but they have stepped back. They've perhaps made some inner vows or inner promises to say, I'm not going to let anyone in anymore. It hurts too much. I've been disappointed too much in the past. And so what happens is they retreat, they kill all the emotions and all their expectations for anything good totally drop to the floor. And that's really important, this, 
the first step to, is to recognise, if you are someone that creates that force field or you're trying to help someone who has done that, the first step is to recognise that it is not God who has hurt you. It's recognising that it's the harbouring offence that has hurt you. And people I've prayed for have found breakthrough by repenting of letting the offence linger. You may have been wronged in whatever's caused your disappointment. You may have been hurt. But you've made the choice to let your bad attitude poison your soul. And instead of clinging hold to the hurts, the person who gets breakthrough, who gets out of the poisonous grip of disappointment, starts to release it to God. So just recently I was praying with uh, uh, another young man who, for them, the issue in their life was that they felt snubbed in ministry. So they were working with the church and they, um, they thought the church was going to release them into ministry and pay them and have them leading, and that never happened. And so he had a great deal of disappointment in his heart that also made him quite bitter towards the church. The way through for him was repentance over dwelling on the disappointment and forgiveness for the people that had hurt him and renouncing the inner vows that he'd made to sort of protect his heart. And he found freedom come and release come and a growing sense of faith again to be able to trust God and trust others. My feeling is if all of us dealt with disappointment in a similar way, where we took ownership of the stuff that was our stuff to repent of, the church would look very different, actually, and our relationships would look very different because we wouldn't have people that were holding on to the hurt. We'd have people that were giving it to God. So how does God help Joshua out of this hole? Well, let's just turn to chapter 8, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid, Do not be discouraged. Take the whole army with you and go up and attack I. For I've delivered into your hands the king of I, his people, his city and his land. I want you to see how gracious and soft-hearted God is with the people. They're crushed with the weight of defeat and disappointment. And God says, don't be afraid, do not be discouraged. That phrase is found in three places in the whole of the Bible. Do not. Be afraid, do not be discouraged. It comes at specific moments where God wants to remind the people of who they are and what he's called them to do. Not only that, but remember in Jericho, they were to dedicate all the plunder to God, but Achan, remember, he steals some of it for himself. Well, this time God says, capture the city and you can have all the plunder. So verse two, you shall do to I and its king as you did to Jericho and its king, except you may carry off their plunder and livestock for yourselves. So this is how my brain works. If someone has done something wrong, usually I, the next time, I limit their options for being disobedient. I sort of try and stop that wrong thing happening again. But God says, well, a wrong thing happens, so this time you can just have it all. First rule of parenting is that you control the situation. If there's disobedience in the room, you know, limit the options for more disobedience. God doesn't do that. That's not in his heart. 
So number three, believe in your heart the truth that God is a good and generous God. That's what we were singing about in our worship time. God uses bad for good, but he doesn't like bad. God uses bad... All the kids just said no at the wrong time there. Did you hear that? God uses bad for good, but he doesn't like bad. His aim is to bring his kingdom, isn't it, here on earth. And his kingdom is a place of peace and joy and life and light. And we must find ways to let this truth overpower the lies that make us believe God is stingy, not interested, just wants to punish you for whatever it is. So it's fascinating as I thought about disappointment in my life. I thought, is there any unprocessed disappointment? that I've experienced. And it was interesting, two things came up for me. Firstly was when Philippa and I first got married, uh, we were on a shoestring budget, not much money. And we had someone uh, that we knew tell us to invite, uh, to invest in a startup company that they were involved with. And it was, there was quite a few sort of guarantees that this is a really good place to put your money. And so not having much money, we sort of took the gamble and put the money into this business. And effectively, we lost nearly all the money. And it's really interesting because I'm not very good with investments and that sort of thing. And as I even tell this story, I I can tell you all like, what were you playing at? And I don't know what we were playing at. (laughs) But we did it. And I suddenly realised, wow, that happened nearly 18 years ago. And I've never really processed the disappointment. Um, Probably uh, two months ago now, my half-sister's baby was born prematurely and sadly died at two months old. And uh, my, sort of that side of the family are are very much trying to deal with the disappointment of a long-awaited baby They've been trying for a very long time. Finally, the baby comes and it's taken away. And I realised, wow, I'm aware that because it's distant, it's down south, it's a long way away, it's a half-sister, so it feels not quite family, but it is family. I'm aware there's disappointment for them and for my family that I just probably just felt that I hadn't quite dealt with properly. It's important that we say this. It is fine, absolutely fine, to feel disappointed. But it is impossible to move on unless you lay hold of this truth that God is a good and generous God as a foundation, as an immovable platform in your life. You see, if you do not believe that God is good and works even our mess for good, then ultimately there's no hope, there's no redemption, there's no place to go, there's no way anything's going to ever get better, there's no point. I'd put it like this, disappointment and hope live in the same place in our hearts. Let me just have the next slide. Disappointment and hope live in the same place in our heart. You see, we are only disappointed when we've hoped for something. And like it says in Proverbs, hope deferred makes the heart sick. You need one to shift the other. So if you're disappointed right now, you need hope to come in if you're ever going to escape its poisonous grip. They live in the same place. 
And Romans 8.32 paints the picture of a God you'd want to trust. What then, shall we say in response to these things, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? That has got to be your hope. That has got to be the thing you cling hold of. God takes the mess of sin and rebellion and enters into it through sending his son Jesus, who deals with it fully on the cross and redeems it and us. The way God treats Israel in the story of Joshua is the way God treats us. We deserve punishment for our sin, yet in Christ we are shown abundant love. That's the truth, that's the wonder of the gospel. And the way through disappointment is praying for faith to believe that God is not to blame, but he's a good and generous God. Amen? That's what we believe. And part of this is laying down the right to understand why something has not met your expectations. This is massive pastorally. One of the ways that you hold on to this truth and not let disappointment keep in your heart is laying down the right to understand why it happened and why your expectations weren't met. If only I could work it out, then I'd get peace. Then I'd be okay with it. Now, you've got to lean into the goodness of God. Fourthly, believe in your heart that God owes you nothing. There is a culture and environment in our society of entitlement. We feel that we're owed stuff by parents, by people, by God. and We live in a world where just people think the world owes them something. And if you're a Christian here, we believe that's a lie. The truth is that God owes us nothing. Why is that the path to freedom? Well, many of you will know the story of Job. He's the guy in the Bible who loses everything. Kids are killed, his livelihood destroyed. All that's valuable is wiped out, yet there is a banner over his life. Job 1, verse 21. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Job could worship, Job could be grateful because he understood that he deserved nothing. That means everything you do receive, you receive it as a gift. The poison of disappointment will stop you being grateful. You won't be able to see all the good things you have because you're focused on the one thing you haven't got yet. Uh, some of you know that I'm not a massive fan of camping. Have we got anyone here that isn't a fan of camping? There we go. Yeah, good. So, we, you know, bless you guys that love your caravans and love your camping. But just to speak to you guys, um, I don't like camping because I really like my comforts. So I don't like not sleeping at night. And I don't like the sun breaking in at three o'clock in the morning. I, you know, I just there's lots of things of camping that aren't good. I miss my, my duvet. I miss a shower. I, you know... Just hot water. I mean, who wants to wait 10 minutes for hot water? Anyway. <laughs> camping takes all my entitlements away. <laughs> and so when I come back home, that first shower you have, 
You know, sometimes I can just stand at the hot tap, just turning it off and on. Look, everyone, hot water, here it is. Or you want to hug your fridge that is full of food that hasn't gone off. You know, or isn't that lukewarm, you know, from that ice box that the ice melted three days ago, that sort of thing. I love it. And I'm suddenly, the things that I took for granted I'm receiving as a gift because the sense of entitlement has been taken away. And in life, we we lose that sense of appreciation because we feel entitled. And we feel God owes us. But God owes us nothing. And we must posture our hearts where we never forget the gifts given. So Joshua attacks I, and through a clever ambush, he sort of invades the city, they overcome the army, and in response, at the end of chapter 8, he gathers the people. It's a moment of covenant renewal. It's a a position where they say to God, yes, we recognise what you have promised to us as a people, and in worship, we give ourselves to you again. And I love that's the way chapter 8 finishes, because that's how we must end up if we're going to truly escape the grip of disappointment. So the big question is how? Like, how do you do that? Because we know, if you're a Christian here, you know you should really end up in a place of worship, however disappointing life has become. How do you do that? Well, let me give you, I think I've got four things to, to finish really quickly. And it's under this umbrella, find a healthy way to express pain and disappointment. And I need to come out of the book of Joshua right now and I want to give you a pastoral word. I want to give you an encouragement from a a few years of pastoral ministry. Let me illustrate the importance of dealing with disappointment properly. So over here, we have a situation in life that causes us disappointment. So we feel all those things. We're sad, we're angry, we're feeling perhaps bitter, whatever it is, because we're disappointed. Expectations haven't been met. Over here is how we know we should respond as Christians. And so we say, yes, we, God is faithful. It's going to be all right. God will provide another way. God will see me through to the end. It's going to get better in eternity. Yeah, that's what we do. The problem is we go from this place, I'm totally gutted, to this place, God is good, without ever dealing with the middle. We don't deal with this bit here. And it's no wonder we find just there's, a, there's wounds, there's stuff in our hearts that makes it difficult to believe the truth. It's because we've just ignored the middle. So how do we deal with the middle? Everyone with me? Yeah, do you know what I'm talking about? We, we feel we have to be Christians about it, but God wants to take us through the middle. So let me give you four things. Number one, feel the emotion. So I've got a picture here on the screen of how God has made us. So we're made in the image of God, Genesis 1, 27, and we're made, there's different parts that make up us, social, intellectual, spiritual, physical, and emotional. These parts make up us, and ignoring certain parts will result in us being undeveloped as humans and will impact our relationships negatively. Some of you come from backgrounds, Christian backgrounds, that have told you do not trust emotions. 
you know, you trust the word of God. Ignore your emotions. I want to just propose gently to you today that God made us with them. We believe in an emotional God. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. We have an emotional God. We're made in his image. The emotions, when used properly, are good things that God wants for our lives. So let's not bury them, but let's learn how to use them. So feel the emotion. Personally, I've been on a 20-year journey with this. So I grew up in a difficult home, and so my idea of a sort of my, the person I wanted to be in terms of emotions was Spock from Star Trek. Because I just thought Spock had it so easy, so Spock didn't feel, hadn't got the capacity to feel any emotions. He was very intellectual. There was always a logical answer. And I thought that sounds like a good way to live. Because when you're emotional, you can be hurt and things are difficult. But give the freedom to yourself to be angry, sad, gutted, instead of just shutting it down. Don't shelve your emotions because they are wrong emotions in your mind. I speak to lots of men who are ashamed of getting angry. You need to know it's not wrong to be angry. What you do with your anger is important. I'm going to teach on that in just a moment. But it's not wrong to be angry. Don't shut them down. Don't convince yourself you're not really feeling disappointed because it feels unchristian. You're shutting down your humanity. You're shutting down who God's made you to be. So feel the emotion. Secondly, recognise the emotion. So say to yourself, I am disappointed now. I feel the desire to withdraw from everyone and everything now. Pay attention to your heart. Identify the feelings during the day. I'm down right now. I'm low. I'm angry. Recognise how your body tells you how you feel. There's a knot in my stomach. I'm feeling empty on the inside. I'm feeling hurt. When they said this, I felt this. Recognise the emotion. And then tell God about them. Tell God, I feel this right now. Don't filter. Don't over-spiritualise them. He's much more interested in our raw emotions than sort of the front, the mask that we can put on when we pray. God is not afraid of your emotion and your pain. And generally speaking, uh, for men... We feel stuff, but we don't know what to do with it. We can't sort of box it up, and so we tend to ignore it. And generally, please don't hurt me, women feel lots of things at the same time and so struggle to pick out the one emotion. Often there's many things going on, and that can, and that can cause you just to retreat and push them down. So for men, it's like we just, we're simpletons, we can't even get the one emotion, Women, lots of emotion, but can still end up burying it. What I'm saying to you is that we must recognise the emotions as best as possible. There's a temptation to move on from this point too quickly. Make sure you've said everything you need to say before moving on. Thirdly, nearly done, exercise self-control. So don't just let the emotion go crazy, but ask God, what do you want me to do with the emotion? Jesus often had self-control. That's why when he got angry, he didn't sin when expressing it. 
if you just rant at God, you've done this, you've left me, A, it's not true, and B, you are just building up your anger and bitterness and resentment to God. It doesn't actually do you any good. You need some self-control. And fourthly and lastly, ask God, how shall I express this emotion? What is a good way then to express disappointment? Well, for us at Mosaic, we always try and teach this. If you cannot trust yourself in these emotional moments, go to the Word, go to Scripture. Go to places in the Bible where people were disappointed. So Psalm 42 is a great place to go. I say to God my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Uh, Some of you are familiar with this passage. Do not miss how brutal this conversation is. He is saying, why God? Why should I feel like this? This situation is so unfair, painful, difficult. Where is the justice? My body is in pain from the tension. My enemies, they are laughing at me right now. It seems like you've disappeared. Where are you, God? Why God? Why me? Why now? It's not fair. It's not right. We don't sing many worship songs like that, do we? But perhaps we need to be a little bit more honest. Emily, you could write a song about this. You know, why me, God? Why? Be very biblical. And so when you do express it, speak it out. Write it out, pray it out, sing it out, dance it out, whatever you need to do to get it out, but use the scriptures as grooves to run down. They're sort of well-established roots that you know you're on safe ground, where you feel like you can just end up going crazy. The Bible gives you a groove to run down. Imagine water going down a drain pipe. It just gives you direction and flow. And when you've said all that you need to, you must try and end up with the truth of who God is, who you are, and worship him accordingly. And Psalm 42 does that. Verse 11, put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my saviour and my God. Worship, worshiping in the middle of pain, rather than the end of pain, is the privilege we get this side of heaven. In heaven, there won't be any pain. We worship, but there won't be any pain. It's only in this life we get to do it. And many of us, we want to wait till the end of the pain before we want to worship. But the privilege in this life is that we get to worship in the middle of it. And that's where the real power is. Hudson Taylor, great missionary to China, he said this. He said, what an awful thing to meet the one who wipes away every tear and have no tears to wipe away. What an awful thing to meet the one who wipes away every tear and have no tears to wipe away. You have to end up there eventually and the Psalms help you find a way through. So disappointment is poisonous. It's toxic for the soul, but there is a way out. Maybe we can just have this slide, next slide. Give you five things. Number one, understand disappointment never comes alone. Two, recognise that harbouring offence is toxic to the soul. And some of you today and in the next few weeks, you need to repent. 
Some awful things might have happened, but you need to repent for what you're responsible for, which is often holding on to the offence. Thirdly, believe in your heart the truth that God is a good and generous God. And many of you will have lies that come into your head as soon as you say that, and that's where the battle is. Fourthly, believe in your heart that God owes you nothing. And fifthly, find healthy ways to express your pain and disappointment. Don't feel the disappointment and then jump into Christian mode. You've got to go through the middle. And the way you go through the middle, next slide, feel the emotion, recognise the emotion, exercise self-control and ask God, how shall I express the emotion? Do you want to stand with me? Emily, do you want to come back? We are going to sing about the faithfulness of God and um, that's a great place to start. But I'd like to pray for us. And uh, if you're happy, could you just close your eyes for a moment? Really hope uh, after we've sung there might be a bit more opportunity to pray for one another. But this is an important word because you're either in the middle of this and as I've spoken, you thought, oh, this, I've, I need this word today. This is for me. And so this is the part of the preach where you get hold of it. You like you say to the Holy Spirit, yes, thank you for your grace to me today, for bringing me to church. I'm going to receive this word. And others of you, you are the, like the pillars in the church that everyone goes to for help when they're disappointed. And my feeling this word for you this morning is an equipping word. Mm. It's, so you help people not just do the Christian jump into God's good, everything's going to be all right but you help them process the middle. So I think really is something for everyone today. So Jim, just close your eyes for a moment. Holy Spirit, thank you so much that uh, you're here and you're ministering to us. And this is life this morning for many people. Well, I pray for any of my brothers and sisters here today that this is like the word they need to hear from past disappointment or present disappointment. Come as the comforter today and I pray for a way through where it feels like there's just a dead end right now. I pray for release. I pray for freedom. And I do pray for a release emotionally, Lord. Forgive us where we just ignore all of that and pretend that everything's okay. And I pray for the others that this is an equipping word. Lord Jesus, please help this church be a caring, comforting church. Amen. I pray there be many here that stand alongside those that are suffering. And this equips them, it helps them to do that.